The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Welcome to another edition of Health Kick. I'm Tim Borum. Well, if listeners weren't aware of what glioblastoma is by now, they obviously haven't been following US politics. Uh, That's because the disease, which is a form of brain cancer, killed not only Joe Biden's son, Beau, but one-time Republican presidential candidate, John McCain, and back on the Democrat side, uh, Teddy Kennedy as well. Now, it's a, it's a nasty disease. Uh, sufferers have only a 5% chance of making it beyond five years post-diagnosis. And, and there's really not much out there by way of treatment uh, currently. Now, the ASX-listed Casia Therapeutics is seeking to change all of this with its lead drug candidate called Paxilisib, which uh, takes a different approach to treating the disease relative to what's, uh, what's out there now. Uh, recent attention, though, on the company has actually focused on its second drug candidate, which is called Cantrixel, uh, which is aimed at treating ovarian cancer. And that's because a Swedish mob called Oasmia Pharmaceuticals has bought the rights in a deal worth uh, 50 million Aussie dollars or more. Now, I'm delighted to have with me Casia CEO, Dr. James Garner, to uh, fill us in on progress. So uh, welcome, James. Thanks, Tim. Thanks very much for having me here. It's good to be on the show. It's a pleasure. Now, the, uh, the deal, um, it, it sounds like it's not so much the uh, end game for the company as such, but, it, but it's actually uh, in part a funding event for further work on the uh, brain cancer drug. Tim, that's absolutely right. Cantrixel is for us something of a legacy asset. It was something we inherited to a certain extent from the old Novagen business in which Casio was was built. And it's a promising drug. You know, it really shows some some very interesting activity. We've seen some positive data in a recently completed phase one study. But at the end of the day, it's not really strategic for us. It's just not quite the sort of drug development we think we're best at doing. Uh, Ovarian cancer is a complex space. This is a, a drug that we've thought for a long time would really benefit from the, the hand of a larger, more focused company. And so we've been really pleased to, to now be able to partner it with the team at Oasmia, which is exactly that company. They have a, an existing product in ovarian cancer. They know this space very well. And so they're just perfectly qualified to, to take Cantrixel forward and to try and make a success of it. So for us, it, it achieves a couple of things. It helps us to focus our efforts around Paxalisib, our lead program in glioblastoma. Second, it generates some uh, some near-term revenue for the company. The upfront payment for the transaction is four million US dollars. And of course, that's money we can invest directly into Paxalisib. And then third, it really shows a little bit of a validation of Casia's business model, which is to partner in and partner out assets as as, uh, as circumstances dictate. We uh, we successfully licensed in a drug from Genentech uh, several years ago. That's now Paxalisib. Being able to license out 
without Cantrexel demonstrates we can do the the flip side of that, and that we can uh, we can uh, we can manage a business that's driven very much by licensing. So uh, so it's an important transaction for us, and we're we're really pleased to see the Oasmia team take the drug forward. Yeah. Okay. And uh, how did the uh, deal come about, uh, James? Well, we, we'd said uh, probably about this time last year that we didn't envisage taking the asset forward ourselves. We'd, uh, we'd been quite transparent about that. And in parallel to that, had begun a program of outreach to potential partners through, um, through partnering conferences, through through uh, other channels and so on. We, we have some consultants and contractors we work with who are very experienced at, at uh, this and have extensive networks. So, so we started this process really last year. Usually with these kinds of transactions, it's driven by trial data. So always the completion of the phase one study was the, the index event here, if you like. And that's something that wrapped up around November of last year. And uh, with that, we, uh, we were very quickly able to, to move to very serious discussions with about three or four companies. But uh, in the end, Oasmia was, was very much the uh, most convincing uh, opportunity in the field. And uh, so we were able, over the Christmas and New, New Year period, to, to put this deal together really quite quickly. Yeah, okay. Okay, great. And, and perhaps it's worth uh, maybe stepping back a step uh, and, and, and just talking about the uh, the science behind your uh, platform um, in, in, in terms of both uh, uh, therapies. Um, it kind of, it, it targets the signal, signaling process uh, uh, used by the, uh, the nasty cells, the, uh, the cancerous cells to, uh, to replicate. Yeah, Tim, that, that, that's right. So, uh, and in fact, Paxalicib and Cantrixel are really very different drugs. And this is part of the reason why we've decided as a company to, to pace, place our bets on, on one. Um, in general, the business model of our company is, is a little bit agnostic in terms of how the drug works. Uh, what we really try to do is to look for drugs that we think are very high quality, but which currently sit in another company where we think we can bring them into cars here and, and do a better job building value around them. Now, Paxalicid was a perfect example of this. It had been developed up to completion of phase one by Genentech. Genentech then made a decision that they just weren't going to focus on brain cancer strategically. It didn't matter how good the drug was, this just wasn't a priority for them. So we were able to bring it into our company and give it the, the love and attention it deserved. And we've really seen some, some terrific results come out of it. So that's how we see Casia really moving forward. Now, Cantrixil is, and, and Paxalicib, as you mentioned, scientifically is what we call a targeted therapy. It targets a very specific biochemical control process in the tumor and thereby stops it from growing. Cantrixel is a little bit of a different story. It was developed by the old Novagen in an in-house drug discovery program, and it's really much more of a chemotherapy drug. It's much more of a kind of old-school approach to, to treating cancer. And, uh, and so it does a variety of things to the tumor, not all of which are fully understood. And uh, this makes it a different kind of, of prospect in terms of, uh, of how to develop it. So, so certainly having the two drugs in the, in the company um, really takes us in two quite different strategic directions. Not that one or the other is better, but, but companies often benefit from focus at our stage. And so we've decided our focus is really on this external innovation model, i.e. picking up great drugs from outside the company, 
and on targeted therapies, the drugs that target these very, very specific control mechanisms in the cancer. Yeah, okay, great, uh, James. And, and, and so can you uh, summarise where the clinical program is at? And I guess uh, we're talking about the uh, pexelosib uh, side. Um, it, it's a slightly sort of different approach, isn't it, in terms of a, it, it's a collective uh, effort, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Tim, that, that's right. We, uh, we had a huge milestone for Paxalisib actually at the beginning of uh, 2021. Uh, and it perhaps passed without as much notice as it deserved just because of the timing. But the drug commenced recruitment to its pivotal study for registration. So that is to say, we are now in the, the study that will hopefully get this drug to market. A, pay, a phase three study, a pivotal study, a registration study. They go by a lot of names, but this is the last big push to get this drug to market. And that's that's a big watershed for us. Uh, now, the, this, the pivotal study that we're doing is a little bit of an unusual one. It's not run specifically by Casia. It's being run by a uh, not-for-profit group called the Global Coalition for Adaptive Research. And that's led by some of the top glioblastoma specialists in the world, uh, really some of the top experts in this field are, are behind this study. It's also very strongly supported by FDA. And the key difference between what uh, what uh, GCAR are doing with this GBM Agile study and, and what a normal company study would look like is that, first of all, this, this study involves multiple drugs. And the different drugs all run along in parallel. They're not compared against each other. This is not a winner-takes-all study where one drug comes out victorious. Rather, the study is designed to provide a mechanism whereby uh, multiple drugs can emerge successful. Second, the study is what we call an adaptive design. So it, uh, it adjusts the number of patients recruited for each drug on the basis of emerging results. Uh, and so if one drug really starts to look very, very successful, it might not need many more patients to prove that. And the study can adjust and reallocate those patients to other drugs. Equally, if a drug's looking a li little bit more ambiguous, the study can recruit more patients into that to really get a definitive answer. So there's some very, very cutting edge statistics in this, which, uh, which give it an incredible degree of efficiency. And then finally, there's a lot of other operational efficiency. The various drugs in it compare against a common control arm. Normally, when we run a clinical study, typically half the patients don't even get our drug. They just get the existing standard of care or even a placebo. And there's obviously a huge inefficiency to that. In this study, only one group of patients gets that, but everybody else gets an experimental therapy. So there's a lot of nice features to this study that really make it a, a very pioneering trial. We're very proud to have been invited to join it. And we think it's a, a perfect way to take Paxalicet forward towards approval. Yes, it sounds, uh, it, it sounds very unusual because uh, um, you obviously sort of share the clinical data um, at the end of the day, I guess these other participants could be your rivals, though. And I guess in a commercial sense, the, uh, the aim is to get to market first. So um, I guess it's nice to see everyone uh, sort of playing along uh, with each other for the uh, sake of humanity. <laughs> Tim, I think that's that, that there's a fair point in that, that, uh, you know, as, as an industry, we've tended to, to be quite sort of competitive and insular about these things. But the reality is that um, 
pharmaceutical products are not like other products. If I look at if I look at the car industry by comparison, um, in Australia, in any given year, there's generally a fixed number of people that are looking to buy a car. And if they buy a Toyota, they're not buying a Nissan. If they buy a BMW, they don't buy a Mercedes. But there's a fixed pie, and and for any any company to enlarge their share of the pie generally comes at somebody else's cost. Drugs don't generally work that way because we, first of all, no drug is effective for all patients, and secondly, we often tend to use drugs in combination rather than uh, rather than in isolation. So quite often new pharmaceutical products create markets as they go. And, uh, and so it's not quite the sense that there's a, there's a fixed pool of spend for a disease and the more drugs approved, the more it eats into it. Um, th- there is a little bit of that, but, it, but it's not the way it is with most other products. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I guess you've got different subsets of the disease too, haven't you? So one drug, drug might work you know, more effectively with a certain cohort than with another one. Yeah, Tim, you're so and combination use. You know, the reality is most cancers are treated by uh, by a mixture of drugs used in combination. It's it's rare that we treat disease with a single drug these days. So all those things play into it. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, now you've got another as a company. You've got another potential monetization event. If if I can use that word, I, I probably really shouldn't. But um, it's a rare paediatric disease designation. This is from the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration in the US. Um, now, this is for diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma, or DIPG, um, and that's uh, that's for a childhood indication. Uh, so, um, yeah, tell us more about that one. Tim, DIPG is is just about as as horrible a disease as it gets. It, it's uh, thankfully a rare disease. Probably affects about four or five hundred kids a year in the US, and and maybe not much more than a few dozen here in Australia. But um, but it's uniformly fatal. Average life expectancy from diagnosis about nine and a half months, and there are no FDA approved drug treatments. All that clinicians have to offer here for for kids and their families is really palliative radiotherapy. So um, so uh, really just a, a dismal disease. Now we've been looking at our drug as a potential therapy here, and we've been looking for some years. We've been working very closely with a gentleman named Professor Matt Dunn at the Hunter Medical Research Institute in uh, the University of Newcastle. He's a, a world expert on this and a, an absolute powerhouse researcher and has done some really interesting work with our drug. We've also had a phase one human trial going on at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, which is one of the top children's cancer hospitals in the world. So we're, we're really starting to get a feel that that the drug may have a role to play here, although there's still work to do to, to tease that out. The priority review voucher opportunity means that if we are successful in getting the drug approved, which of course is still an if at this stage, but if we're successful in getting the drug approved, we stand to receive a priority review voucher. Now, this means that you can use it for a different drug, essentially to accelerate the FDA approval process from 12 months to six months. It saves you about six months in review. Now, for us, that might not be tremendously valuable, but if there's a big pharma company, a Pfizer, a Lilly, an AstraZeneca, that's about to launch a drug with, say, $2 billion a year in sales, well, then getting that drug approved six months earlier is worth a billion dollars. Mm, mm. And so, uh, so there's a, there's, and these 
vouchers are tradable as a secondary market. And we've seen them trade generally for about $150 to $300 million. So, um, so if we're successful in getting this voucher, it's uh, potentially something we can, we can sell to another company and realize a very, very substantial financial gain. Yeah, have these values been tending to uh, to, to rise or, or go the other way? It, it's up and down. Um, right at the moment, uh, the legislation which give, gives rise to it has, has lapsed. And so right at the moment, there's no new vouchers being issued. Yes. Um, or rather, there's no new drugs getting the designation that allows for it. So, um, so that might be expected to create scarcity. Now, I think everybody expects <clears throat> that the Biden administration will renew this legislation. It's happened several times before. And so that, that will probably change. But if, if anything, there's supply constraints on the vouchers. Uh, but it really depends very much on uh, the demand side. You know, if somebody's got a big drug they want to launch, they'll uh, they'll pay a lot of money for these things. Yeah, yeah. So I presume if, if Biden uh, uh, doesn't extend the scheme, uh, yeah, there's this uh, enhanced uh, rarity value. And uh, <laughs> I imagine the values would, would really take off. Uh, that's true. That, that's very true. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Uh, funding wise, uh, I presume the uh, the four million dollars you're, you're getting up front, the uh, US four million dollars, will obviate the need for a, a capital raising in, in the uh, near future. Tim, I think that's that's uh, broadly a reasonable conclusion. I think we're, we've. We've got a couple of things that are really kind of uh, in our favor at the moment. First is that we raised some money back in October of 2020. Uh, we raised gross proceeds of a little over 25 million Australian dollars, so about 20 million US. And uh, as at 31st of December, which are our most recent financial statements, we had 19.4 million Australian at bank. It was a very expensive fourth quarter of last year, but uh, so it's not really a typical expenditure rate. But we have fundamentally a good uh, a, a good pool of cash at uh, at banks so we're we're thankfully not in the position of many biotech companies where we've got sort of one or two quarters of cash left uh, as you say the uh, the four million dollars us that we net from the Cantrixel deal and the immediate upfront payment uh, just adds to that of course it's worth a little over five million Australian so um, so we, we have uh, we have some some money at bank to, to fund our ongoing operations really for, for quite some time uh, so we're uh, we're certainly not desperate for money yeah great and I guess the key point is that you're focused now on brain cancer, so you only need to to, uh, to spend on on the uh, the brain cancer uh, program. That's true. That's true, and and quite a bit of the expense around the pivotal study, particularly, is actually quite front loaded. So uh, so those expenses get less rather than more as the study progresses on, on the whole. So uh, so I think that's right. We have, uh, uh, you know, we, we've really got one program to focus on and, and very, very limited corporate overhead. We take a pride in the fact that about 80 cents or more out of every dollar that we spend goes directly into a clinical trial. We, we don't have expensive labs and manufacturing facilities and hundreds of staff. The, the money goes into the trials. Okay. I, I just... Um... Just looking at the share price, the, um, the the shares have done well well over the last year or so. I mean, they, they they've they've more than doubled, or I think at at one stage that they'd tripled. Um, but uh, investors seem to treat the ovarian cancer deal, the the, the recent deal, with, with with a grain of salt. 
um, so I'm just I'm just wondering what, what's going on there. Does, does that sort of reflect the reality that uh, you know brain cancer will, will really sort of, sort of drive the company's fortunes? I think for quite some time, investors have seen Paxalisib, our, our brain cancer program, as the main value driver in the business, and and rightly so. I mean, I think we would we would frankly agree with that conclusion. If nothing else, it's a much more advanced asset. You know, it's much, much closer to commercialization. So just on a risk and time basis, that, that gives it enormously greater value. So um, so, so I think inv- investors have, have for a long time valued the company around Paxalisib primarily. So in that sense, the removal of Cantrixel doesn't really remove a lot of, of enterprise value from Casia. And equally, the cash, although it's very helpful, uh, you know, that, that 4 million US dollars comes on the background of a market cap of about 120 million US dollars. So it's really a, a couple of percent in terms of, uh, in, t- in terms of its addition to our value. So we wouldn't necessarily expect the cash itself to, to uh, double the share price. So, um, so I think we, we had no real expectation this was, this was going to be a, a massive event. I think what it, what it shows to shareholders, I think, more than anything, is that they're investing in a company that's got a very clear strategy and they've invested in a company that is able to strike partnerships when it needs to. Uh, but those are those are rather softer value drivers that, that we expect to, to take time to percolate through. Sure, understood. Uh, and, and, and James, in uh, for finally and, and sort of uh, in, in summary, uh, what should your investors expect in the short to uh, midterm? Well, I think there's uh, there's a couple of things I'd I'd point to here. So um, so the first is is always uh, data. Uh, every biotech company really stands or falls on on the uh, the quality of the data that it produces. And for us, we now have eight clinical trials in various stages of activity, from startup to to run out. And uh, and that translates into a lot of data over the course of this year and and next year. Now, I, I I always say to investors, please don't get too hung up on exact timing. A lot of these investigator-initiated studies, especially in a world with COVID, can't always say to the exact week what we'll see and when. But what what is certain is that we will be seeing a lot of data, and each one of those readouts has the opportunity to to uh, to transform the company's story. So I think that's the first thing. Um, fundamentally, a lot of clinical trials means a lot of data. However, the second thing I would say is that this story for Paxalisib in particular now is not just around around sort of generating experimental data. Uh, The drug is on a path to commercialization. And I think what investors increasingly want to hear is not just data that shows it works. Fundamentally, we all believe that. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. But they want to see now increasingly plans for how the company is going to bring this drug to market, because that is really starting to get quite imminent. And over the course of this year, I think we hope to be able to start saying a little bit more about that. And then finally, I, I wouldn't neglect what we sometimes joke they refer to as, as the X factor events. Uh, as a company, we've been through some some massive transformations over the last few years, and uh, we continue to have aspirations to build Casia and 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 to uh, to enrich it. And and so uh, I'd I'd encourage investors to be mindful of the possibility that these uh, these more sort of corporate activities can also help to be very significant value drivers for their investment. 
Right. Okay. Well, it sounds like there's uh, there's uh, a, a lot for uh, investors to look uh, out for, and we'll uh, we'll all follow uh, uh, progress with with interest. Uh, James, uh, th- thanks for uh, joining me today, and it was uh, great to chat to you. And uh, I hope to uh, uh, talk uh, in the uh, the future. Will do, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. <laughs>